Hello and welcome to Trini Community Broadcast Episode 7. This time I'm joining you all from the East Coast of the United States. I'm in Boston. As you can see, I'm in a funky building with bricks on the wall. So cool. <laughs> and, and we <laughs> and we have a, a whole lot of guests, Brian, today. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, yeah. We got uh, quite a load of uh, people that we, we work with on a day-to-day -day basis, let's just say. <laughs> That's right. At least now, so it's a pretty pretty new thing. So I don't know. You want to introduce some of these uh, cool cats? Yeah, let's start on the top right with Jan joining us all the way from Poland. So don't fall asleep today. Jan is doing a lot of cool stuff, and he's hanging in there hard. And what are you gonna do? What are you doing down, Jan, these days? Uh, I'm in the developer experience team, uh, helping the, to improve the developer experience in Trino. And you are so you are hardcore GitHub Actions and Code Hacker, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty much a jack of all trades. I can hack on the the pipelines. I I can hack on Trino itself a little bit. I can. I, I opened up a bunch of PRs for the Trino CLI. I'm a big fan of the Trino CLI. Yeah, we'll see yeah. some preview of that kind of stuff or some of the fancy output that the CLI can do later today as well. But yeah. let's not spoil all the surprises. I, I want to say one more thing about Jan that everybody should know and that he is a Go lover. Uh, he loves the programming language Go, and I think he may try to rewrite Trino and Go one day. So we'll see. Yeah, we're not doing that as we last discussed. Brian. You must have forgotten the last episode. It's completely ah, pointless to rewrite Trino in another language. I don't know. He, not Jan was convincing that. me. It's apparently everything. You don't need a JVM. It just all, everything is self uh, self contained in Go, and it's very portable. So I don't know. Yeah, and then you can install it on every operating system and have a, a multi terabyte installer. That's awesome. That's yeah, great. I, I was actually playing with GraalVM and building a, a completely static version of the Trino CLI. So you don't need the JVM to run the CLI. Ooh. That, that, that's a cool hack. That is actually a lot of fun. Now, now we're talking, but um, yeah, let's not get on. distracted. Let's see <laughs> who else is here today. So, how about you, Costas? What are you doing with us at Trino? Um, I'm a group product manager, actually. Um, so I'm trying to figure out uh, what's best for the community to build on Trino. Not always the easiest task, to be honest, but always very rewarding. Um, so yeah, I'm working here, uh, taking care of anything that has to do with, uh, with Trino and making sure that Trino also works well with uh, the rest of the stuff that we are building at Starburst. Um, I'm also working with Jan for uh, anything that has to do with developer experience. I have to say that he's like a very, very modest guy. I mean, he's doing like much more stuff than uh, <laughs> what he just uh, You'll see. <laughs> and uh, yeah, my goal in life is to convince Jan that you don't need the garbage collector. So probably he will rewrite everything in Rust at the end and not. <laughs> uh, it's gonna be a, that's going to be an uphill battle. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so one thing you totally forgot also that you're actually famous podcaster as well. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah, I'm a famous podcaster. I'm also hosting a podcast named The Data Stack Show, where we bring people uh, with various backgrounds, but always talking about uh, stuff related to data infrastructure. Uh, so, yeah, um, please check the podcast and uh, let me know your comments and uh, what you would like to hear there. And, and, uh, and as a throwback, also, you are also very modest because you have a huge data background and like you're showing that also in the podcast. So it's not just Jan that's modest here. So awesome, by the way. Thanks for yeah, having we'll, us. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get everything out of everybody here on the show before we get to the next part. Yep. <laughs> that's right. So who's this guy in the middle here? Hello. 
Uh, see, I don't. I, I, there's no like fake modesty to be had because I don't actually do anything. No. Oh yeah, right. Sure. <laughs> so tell us about where you're coming from then. Yeah. Like so hi, uh, my name's Cole Bout. Um, I am release manager slash developer advocate slash emergency technical writer for Trino, uh, <laughs> writing docs when necessary, but mostly tracking the releases. Um, I'm actually familiar with the project. Before I was here, I uh, worked at Facebook for a couple of years, and my internship at Facebook was on Presto back when it was only Presto <laughs> um, with the same Trino co-founders. Um, my project was like set path for user-based function resolution. Um, what lives on from that project is a lot of intermediate representations. If you've ever like <laughs> used a path in the Trino code, that that I made that file. It doesn't do anything, but represents a path quite well. So it's all over the place, and that's my that's my mark on the project from an engineering perspective. See, a well, lot of people are always saying things like, "Oh, well, I don't know if I like if I just go to push something in open source, like it's gonna probably disappear later." And I was like, "No, actually, it seems to echo throughout eternity in <laughs> different variations." <laughs> Yeah, you know, like, is the actual project live? No, we found a better way to do that. But parts of it, like, are quite useful. They're still there. We, uh, we've copied uh, it 500 times. Parsing still exists. So you can write set path. It just kind of doesn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. And you'll tell us more about the releases and your experience so far. So that's that's excellent. And we'll we'll talk about that more. But before we get to that, um, very importantly, I'm also super happy to have Monica on board. Hey, Monica. Tell us about yourself. Hello. Yes, I am. My name is Monica and I am the Starburst Galaxy developer advocate at Starburst. Um, I wear a couple of different hats too. So I get to come in and play with Trino a little bit and, and help wherever I can help us and our big old team that we are in developer relations. So um, I was a previous data engineer, focused a lot on data movement and data manipulation. So I built a lot of super fun ETL pipelines and some streaming data and kind of got into DBT. And now I'm at the best data open source project ever. Nice. So. Yeah, she was actually a data engineer at my at my bank. Yes, <laughs> so. yes I was. My bank too. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, we'll go so, ahead. So something must have gone wrong with this this money engineering into the different accounts then. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Like don't don't tell anyone where I was. So <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Uh no, it was it was good. And like uh one of the things like Monica has just been here what has been like I don't know, you've been on the project now three months. Is that right? Almost. Two Almost months. Three, I don't know. Two months, months and some change, three months. Yeah. And you've already like probably outpaced my my blog uh, capabilities and like written way more engaging content than I've ever written uh, to get people excited about Trino and, and Starburst Galaxy. So I'm like, okay, so clearly setting the bar much higher than uh, than I ever did. So uh, but also I found out I found out that you you know something about SQL or SQL as we also sometimes call it, right? So yes. tell us about that. Yeah. Um, actually using SQL or SQL in our Space Quest League missions that we're doing for uh, Starburst. We're doing basically a year-long competition with four different individual missions. Big shout out, July 1st is the start of mission three. There's still time to enter into mission two. Um, and I did some technical achievement challenges where I wrote some SQL, SQL-based challenges that people can go in and try and answer themselves. You can do it either with Trino or with Starburst Galaxy, so I'm super excited about that. Um, and then there's also a game involved, and there's also a do good component and a do well and do good. So 
Starburst has allocated $1 per participant up to $100,000 to donate to charity. So even if you just want to get signed up to add an extra dollar, we would love that. Um, but yeah, go try out my challenges. They're going to get, I'm really excited for what we have in Q3. They're going to get harder. So bear with Let's me. See. We're going to do more. Yeah. So it's going to be like a lot of this, like, what does the following query return? I don't know. Go down. We're the technical, I'm the technical challenger. Keep going. Oh, wait here. Let's see. Yeah, but, technical achievement challenge. There we go. Okay, which company? Oh, okay. So it's like which company spent the most money on failed or partially failed missions that have been retired? Retired. Okay, yes. and then so you go in here, and there's like basically a whole bunch of instructions to either run this on Starburst Galaxy if you yeah. want, uh, or if you have your own Trino cluster kind of hanging around. Uh, another thing that Monica goes through and shows you that. So it's gonna be like. I think that's like a lot of fun to just get your hands right on and see if you can basically take up the challenge of actually answering that question. It's like a real like legit data set that's already sitting there existing for you to play around with. So a lot of fun. Yep. And keep your eyes out for Q3. We'll do some more technical challenges. It'll be a fun time. But enough about me and what I do. Let's talk about some uh, Trino release notes. Ooh. Yeah. Thanks to the efforts of Martin, the maintainers, all the contributors and everything, and especially also Cole. We got four releases again, so 382, 83, 84, 85, 86, and I already also failed counting, so it's actually five releases. <laughs> you, you try not to talk about 383. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I kind of like skipped that, and that's, a, that's an important point. Actually, we had a regression in 383, so this that came out on a Wednesday, and we found it and fixed it, and we cut 384 on the Friday of that same week, so we're nice. really in a good cadence now. So let's have a look what, what we shipped. So... 382, we had improvements for wildcard table readings on the BigQuery connector. We added columns now in the Delta Lake connector, so you can go uh, alter table, add column and stuff like that. So nice. That's cool. um, Iceberg also got table partitioning to uh, be allowed to update that. We're so going to see more about that later. <laughs> yep, there's more coming on that. Um, performance improvements again, uh, specifically in here on some of the JDBC connectors. The Prometheus connector, which is kind of cool and like not as widely used, but like actually pretty use, good use case when you're working on Kubernetes and stuff like that, uh, got basic authentication added. And then last but not least in 382, we finished up our support for the exchange spooling in our fault-tolerant execution, now also supporting Google Cloud Storage. So that means you can now do that spooling on Azure, AWS, or Google Cloud. So... Um, wherever your cluster runs, you can use our full torrent execution, which is pretty sweet. Nice. Now, in 3.83, Cassie was at work. Um, she's been a guest before, and we'll see her again. I'm sure she's like a proliferant uh, coder, ridiculously good. And she also documents the stuff with me quite very nicely. And so she added new functions for all these people that like JSON uh, payloads. So JSON exists, JSON array query, JSON value came in 383 and then 385 got JSON array, array and JSON object function. So special props to Kasi for all that work there. Very yeah, nice. that one's huge. And we've already had people who had like, we found these like very still like uh, questions and you had to basically do a, a lot of like, like wrapped functions to get the same functionality. And this in most cases at the very least just made it like way simpler or just made something that was totally not possible before possible. So yeah, it's a huge amount of work. It's a great part of the like ingestion cleaning workload to to uh, using Trino that uh, that these ones uh, really fill out especially. Yeah, uh, and, and all these functions are pretty complex to implement. Have 
pretty complex requirements in terms of like explaining how to use them in terms of docs. And that was on your side uh, work for Cassia actually, because what she also implemented or worked heavily on was the pass through uh, of the query table function. So you can now pass queries through, Cole is writing in the docs for that, to Druid, MariaDB, and a whole bunch of other JBC based connectors. So that's super cool as a feature when you are stuck with some sort of business logic where you want to invoke a native snippet from like whatever the underlying data store has like single store or oracle or so that just doesn't have an equivalent or you've like pre-written a query or something like that that's now possible which is pretty sweet that came out in 384. Yeah. um 383 and and we'll talk about this more right brian yeah yeah we'll be we'll be hitting this uh, in the question of the episode as well so awesome cool and then yeah support for table comments uh in the delta lake connector again we're pushing forward on that IAM rules are now for exchange pooling supported on S3. And then uh, on 385, you also added time travel syntax in the iceberg connector. Pretty sweet. So you can go as off, like from and so on with timestamps. Uh, 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 I don't know where the status of this is right now, but there is um, a, a small bug with uh, how that works. So that should be getting fixed though, I think in the next coming, one of the next coming things, so. Yeah, we're just still cleaning that up. I talked to Marios who has been working on this uh, yesterday and we are doing things like, if you do a timestamp as of like sometime in the future, we'll actually get a nice error message. That yeah. I don't know what happened then, right? Like it's just like, we're yeah. not So there's a couple of things that we we hadn't looked at and, and so they'll, they'll be adding those to tests and, and getting that pushed out. But uh, it's not totally broken, but it's like, you know, no, no, it works nicely. The demo I've seen yeah. is pretty sweet. So yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. So it's it's just by there's a couple use cases that obviously needed to get uh, considered in that. So that should be rolling out in another couple uh, releases as well. Yeah, you know, as I say, spit and polish is Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then timestamp P for and the new MariaDB connector for those people that uh, are MariaDB users and switched over from MySQL now hopefully using the MariaDB connector and that's getting better and better. And yeah, that's pretty much then it. Um, yeah, so don't forget 383 had the regression, so don't use that one. Well, we're at 386 anyway, and that's pretty much it. If you're a Phoenix user, you need to say goodbye to Phoenix 4 because we removed that temporary connector that we had for a while because everyone should basically be on Phoenix 5 by now anyway. So yeah. Phoenix slash HBase new versions. And that is it. So let's go roll over into the community. What do you think, Brian? Sounds good to me. Let's do the concept of the episode. All right. So this, uh, this, I always want to say weeks still. I still have weeks ingrained in my head. Uh, this episode's uh, concept of the episode is uh, going to be talking about how do we strengthen, how to strengthen the Trino community. And so first kind of question I, I kind of want to come around is like, what is everybody here kind of like, if you were to define community, you know, like what is, it's a word that I, I didn't really think too much of whenever I was like on the engineering side. And so I'm seeing it more and more, but I was like, okay, what does it mean? So, um, so there's this uh, really cool definition that uh, uh, I'll cite uh, that makes it very simple. It's just a community is a group of people who feel a shared sense of belonging. That makes it super abstract and not necessarily specific to tech. But it's something that, you know, it can be, it can apply to anything, anytime that like, let's say you have a golf club or, you know, like people that just like golf or you're sharing your, 
I don't know, your latest, you know, swings, things like that. Like you might build a community of people uh, that either gathers in person or gathers somewhere online to share this and hangs out and talks about, yeah, your, your latest golf stats. Um, if uh, you're, you know, building like a, a, having a shared uh, kind of affinity towards, uh, uh, I don't know, Golang like uh, Jan does. I'm sure Jan's part of like a million Go communities. Um then you might, you know, go hang out and just like go find out other, other people that you want to hang with. And you started becoming a, a much more common word whenever like Facebook and other social media uh, um, uh, companies started to invest in like building out kind of spaces for people to uh, do these communities online. And that grew into a lot of like, you know, tech companies uh, also or tech projects, especially open source projects where the communities were usually like done through email um, and like usually or like shared messaging groups and things like that. Um, they started also kind of taking advantage of these newer community technologies. So the word community, you know, is kind of more frequently being used now with tech, but it's been something that's been kind of a more like higher level concept that, that applies to this. So why do we care about, you know, kind of building the Trino community? Uh, what's the, what's the whole point and what is it, how does it help anybody else uh, other than, you know, like uh, this Trino itself, like maybe Trino is just building up a community for fun and we just want to ha hang around and share some giggles. No, it's like we have a shared uh, sense of belonging and we have a shared and common goal, which is Trino. It's the software itself. And we're trying to ultimately make that software better because if I can make some contribution and make the project a little bit better, then that doesn't just make it better for my particular use case. It makes it better for everybody. And that is something I think that's worth having a community around. And so that's more or less uh, what's been created uh, by initially, you know, by Martin, Dane and David from all the way back in the Presto days. Um, from the beginning point, they, they made it open source and they really focused on, you know, socializing the software and getting people's hands on it and understanding their use cases and trying to really make something that multiple people needed versus what just Facebook needed. And that's kind of what was really exciting in the kind of uh, esprit de, well, no, I forgot the, the word, but the spirit of, of, the, uh, of the project has always been kind of focused around trying to, uh, try, trying to really uh, instill that, that idea that, you know, let's get people together and try to understand the larger sets of use cases that this, that this query engine can solve. And so, um, so that's why having the community and building out the community and getting more people using Trino as well as then cons consequentially contributing to Trino, whether it be contributing, you know, issues saying, hey, I need help with this problem or contributing code being the resolution for a problem or contributing documentation or, or just helping people out on Slack. The more people that we have in this kind of community, uh, the more essential support and better uh, robustness that we can add to the project itself. So building community is, is fundamental in the project success and is becoming a very essential ingredient into open source projects like Trino. And uh, you may, have, you know, if, for a lot of you data engineers, you know, about Kafka, there's a lot of, you know, if you go there, there's a lot of resources for you to interact with people who also use Kafka and you can learn and meet all these other people and, and learn from them. Right. And so, um, and you can also contribute there. It's the same thing we're trying to do here on the Trina community. And so this is why we've gotten this band of community leaders here today to kind of first introduce you to them so that you know who they are. So you can kind of, you know, recognize people, uh, when you go to a conference or when you're online on Slack 
but also uh, to kind of try to understand what what our goal is here in, in trying to build out uh, uh, Trino. And so so that's so just... So you don't want to just spread more and more Commander Bandons around? That's definitely a side <laughs> benefit. I mean, everybody loves a little extra Commander Bandon. So, de- you know, if you, if you, you know, like swag and we all like, you know, cute little bunnies and stuff, that's another kind of community that we can... We can even make that a sub-community of just like, you know, bun-bun <laughs> aficionados. But... Uh, um, but yeah, so so ultimately, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of really exciting things that we can do once we build out this user base, right? Of people that are um, excited about the technology, that want to kind of contribute, and we want to help you kind of be successful in that mission in terms of you know being getting involved in open source in, in whatever way you can. And so uh, so and then this just to be very clear, it's like like just contributing code. There's so many different things you can do, even simply telling us what's going wrong with Trino, right? Um, that that really, really helps. So um, so first off, uh, when we think about how do we how do we want intend to kind of grow and strengthen the community, uh, you know, one of the things that I think of as a as a community builder, as a, as somebody who thinks about how do I build communities a lot, that that particular question, um, I I really think about uh, two things. Like one thing is I, I'm sitting on here right now on Trina Community Broadcast. This is one of the first things that I did when I got here. I actually just ran the idea by Manfred. Manfred says, let's do it. We just got to make sure we're consistent about it. And here we are. We've been, what episode are we on? 37, you 37. know? That's like, we, we just keep doing that. So that's one way of like, I can give you a whole bunch of stuff for you to, you know, kind of learn about, self-educate. And to agree, this this has been working. Uh, I've created a getting started repo kind of out of this. Uh, and if you here, actually, let me do a quick uh, share screen real fast. If you go onto the show notes, uh, you know, many times during uh, intros, I don't know why I'm not able to zoom in all of a sudden. There we go. Um, there is, uh, you know, Trino getting started repo that that I have set up, and this is actually just the results of many different Trino community broadcasts that we've done where I've had to set up a demo environment and I just re-replicate this over and over again. And it's gotten some traction to help people come in. Uh, you can essentially read and learn how to, uh, you know, set up a small little sandbox environment to, to play around with Trino. So this is something I, I really have thought was a key to bringing success is that not only does it, it bring an immediate awareness to what is what Trino does, um, but it also gives you like time to actually put Trino in your hands and understand it for yourself uh, and, and try to do that a little faster. Now, just the fact that I've created this repo somewhere that you can kind of read and stuff like that, I don't believe is enough. In fact, I've been really, you know, trying to over time start focusing on better and different ways that there's more kind of self-help content, right? Um, clearly, there's also the way that you can go of like coming on to Slack uh, and asking us questions directly. And I love that. I actually love that direct feedback, but not everybody want, has the time or, or is going to be on at the same exact hours uh, that different people are on. A lot of people that I talk to are in China. So sometimes I do answer people at like 9 p.m. at night, my time. And it's like, you know, during the workday, their time, but it doesn't always align. Right. And, it, and sometimes feedback with another human is very, you know, synchronous process. So it's nice to have a little ace, ace, Oh no, I'm going to butcher that word, but it, asynchronous, the, the, being asynchronous, <laughs> um, asynchronicity or something like that. Anyways, I, I'm not going to try to uh, figure out that word right now, but you need to have a level of, of being asynchronous um, 
to uh, be able and, and be able to kind of bootstrap yourself uh, to be able to, you know, keep that engagement and keep that excitement around the project and to really understand, I believe it's more for engineers in particular and, uh, and people that like, and developers, I should say, not just engineers, uh, anybody who uses the software is going to need to like get their hands and play around with it. So a big part of what I want to do is really improving on like things like the getting started page. So um, I'll, I'll start off by, by showing um, the, you know, the goal the of all this is in ultimately to enable people to join the community easier, get running quicker, get to success quicker and and then also like, you know, pull in other people because ultimately the, the larger the community is, the more use cases we find, yep. the more interesting it is for everyone and the more benefits we get out of this for everyone. And that's like, if you look at, at the list of logos here, you see that there's a very wide variety of companies and users that do all sorts of different things. And then if you listen to past episodes of this and other meetups and stuff like that, that like Monica has just done a, a recent one again, um, it's a very wide variety of things are happening. We get new tools integrated, like DBT recently, and like Metabase is coming soon, those kind of things. That ultimately strengthens the community for everyone, and that's what we want to help. Totally, with. yeah, and, and exactly, and that's that's ultimately, you know, so a lot of times it, it that's that's kind of the outcome, right? But we need to kind of have a way to kind of better get you bootstrapped, right? And so Absolutely. one of the things that I initially really do want to focus on is that kind of getting started workflow. So, you know, we do have kind of this getting started area. And at this point in time, it's somewhat of a download page, has a couple of resources. But what we ultimately want to do is take a lot of that stuff that we've, you know, kind of tutorial-based things and start adding more of those uh, here on the website so that it's very clear to any of those who are coming in fresh to the community they have a place that they can go to and say, hey, like if, I, if I'm if i totally brand new, this is the place for me to go whenever I actually want to uh, get started. And sometimes it's not very clear that, oh, check out the Trino Community Broadcaster. Oh, find somebody on Slack. Uh, or, oh, you know, go to uh, these different places. It, really, at the end of the day, we need to have a place like this, this kind of page that encompasses a lot of that uh, self-service capability to, uh, to, to really learn. Because I, I see very commonly that it's, it's uh, a lot of people are apprehensive to, to try to bug people as well. Um, and we don't really feel like it's bugging us, but at the same time, you know, it's so much better. I think it's so much a lower barrier to entry when you have that material readily available to you. So that's something that I've been trying to do on kind of like the Trino side. Um, on another token, there's, there's also things that uh, kind of, and it's uh, Monica, uh, I'm going to kind of like you bring you into this because Monica comes into the picture from a, a vendor and enterprise perspective of uh, helping us with a, a SaaS product that, you know, kind of takes Trino and makes it super easy to install. So I'm not going to try to steal too much of her thunder there, but it's like, I, what I want to basically say is that, you know, making things like faster ramp to actually understanding the technology is really the end goal. And to kind of get us into that like larger number of of adopters of Trino, and as you mentioned, Manfred, like that grows out our our, our user list, uh, our, our our user base, and people who are kind of in the community helping each other out and growing the uh, the use cases that we can serve. So Monica comes into this as like a you know uh, a developer advocate with a heavier focus on our on the SaaS product around Starburst. So Monica, would you like to talk a little bit about like some of your vision for 
how that makes you know bring that brings on Trino users uh, a lot faster and kind of what Galaxy serves for the larger community. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, it's the SaaS form of of Trino. It's kind of like trying to make it where you don't have all of the capabilities or the large team to support your own Trino instance. It's more about um, if you have a smaller group and you need something quick and easy, then then this is the option. So I'm trying to do a lot of the same getting started enablement and like highlighting all the cool features, talking about what you can do quickly to get started or, yeah. you know, anything with like how to make your information secure or how do you do specifically table level role-based access control is what we just talked about or like how you know to run interactive queries or different types of querying um so that's more of my job and my enablement is trying to help the same trino if you ever do need to move over you know still making the easy getting started button on our side as well yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think too, you know, even little fun kind of games like the sequel game we were showing before, it's like these little ways to kind of uh, help people have like a, a, a kind of goal or something like a tutorial to start with because, right, people coming initially in Trino, it's kind of a hard thing to differentiate that from like other data warehouse solutions mm -hmm. or other data lake solutions. And so having a very tangible way to kind of understand, get that aha moment of like, oh, Trino not only is just this replacement for this, but also has federated querying capabilities or also has uh, these different use cases that just aren't seen anywhere else. And so I, I think that that is really where I see a lot of the, the ramping up getting the aha moments quicker mm -hmm. uh, so that it's, it's hard to, it, again, and essentially it's like there's so many potential solutions out there that you have to be very quick and to the point and make the process fun so that people are engaged and really excited about learning your, your uh, technology. And I think Galaxy is definitely going to be one of those types of, uh, of applications that help us uh, to kind of, you know, ramp people up on Trino if they don't want to do the whole like bare metal installation mm -hmm. part and everything. So it's very solid. Um, so yeah. So on that getting started page that we just saw on the website before, that's where the uh, version is updated each time, right? When we do a release. So Cole, can you tell us a bit more about what's been happening with the releases? Uh, as we mentioned, right? Like we had like a well, like a whole backlog come recently again from one episode to the next, and this is getting pretty regular. So you want to yeah, chime so in a little bit here and tell us about what we've been working on there? Yeah. So I mean, the release process is something everyone should hopefully be at least a little familiar by now if you've been involved in the Trino community. Um, I think the biggest overall change is that we've gone from bi-weekly every other week to weekly releases. And my job here is to help facilitate those. So we track everything coming in, everything going on, um, and we make sure that we can get release notes and we try and get it out every Wednesday on a super regular cadence. And then, you know, there's exceptions. Like when 383 released, suddenly we had a regression that had query failure and it's come Friday, it's okay. Like, this is no good. How do we do this? And we, we get an emergency release ready to go. Um, and we are happy with that because it makes sure that no one gets stuck on a bad release for too long. Um, so, so why is that any good? Like, I mean, like, sure, now we have releases all the week. Why, why do we care about that? Yeah, so it's about being regular. It's about being routine. It's about our users and community being able to anticipate what's going on, being able to know, like, this is what's going to happen with Trino. Um, migrating and upgrading every week can be a pain for a lot of people. 
Um, so we kind of get feedback from a lot of different people in the community as to how they do it. Sometimes it is just, you know, if Trino is coming out on a Wednesday that you can run a workflow Thursday morning to upgrade, and you'll be good to go. Um, or you can know if you're going to pick which version of Trino you want to update to. You can always read the release notes every Thursday morning and find which version is right for you and keep track of what's going on. And we'll make sure that those release notes are as informative as possible so you can make informed decisions. It also it doesn't also mean that like features that we're working on are becoming available faster. Yeah, exactly. So you don't have to wait too long. You know, it's it's always a, a feels bad moment when, you know, if we had the query table function allowing pass through execution, if that had gotten merged the day after a release and then there wasn't another release for a month, everyone would just have to wait for the feature. But when it's weekly, you know, there's always new things coming out all the time. So if there is a key feature that you want or a key feature that you're looking forward to and you see it coming down the pipeline, you know you're not going to have to wait more than a week. And as soon as it comes out, you can get that feature rolling and put it into action, which is very exciting. So how does that, like, does that benefit you as a, as a, as a sort of like cat herder slash project manager, Costa? So are you, Jan, to like, you know, like get the stuff out quicker? How does that help you from your perspective? Well, it helps in many different ways, to be honest. I think when it comes like to working on a pretty uh, complex piece of software like Trino, like keep in mind that Trino is like software that has been like developed for probably more than 10 years now, right? Just, yeah. Yeah. So making sure that uh, you build habits around like how things are released out there and uh, making sure that there is a process is important like to ensure the continuity of the product, the project, and making sure that like the quality remains the same, right? Like it's very, very easy like to break things uh, in very complex like engineering projects like, uh, like Trino. So having in place like all these, let's say, uh, habits, I would say that's like super, super important to ensure that. Um, having said that, like I would say that I, I would like to go back to the community. Um, so Brian made like a very, uh, very nice like introduction of uh, the community. And I'd like to add like a little bit more color to that. Um, I'm old enough like to seeing how like the internet like emerged and happened, right? Like probably some of you were not even like born, I don't know, but <laughs> I, I, I was there when like internet was not a thing, but networks like existed when we had something that was called like a BBS, right? Like, so people were like just connecting locally and like meeting people. And then we had the internet and then we had like Usenet and then we had IRC. So I, I think we forget that the need of, communities like a big, let's say, uh, force behind uh, the tech revolution that we have seen like in the past 20, 30 years, right? So that's one thing. The other thing is that developing is fundamentally like a community-driven process and experience. Uh, engineers and developers probably like forget that pretty much like most of the things that we are doing every day we, as part of our job one way or another, they include like some kind of community. Like when you go to Stack Overflow, you are going to a community. When you go to GitHub, you go to a community, right? So no matter what you do, like I would say that for uh, technology, like community is part of the experience itself. And that's like why uh, developer experience 
uh, is important because like also like builds this connection between the community and the experience that the developer has when it's trying like to contribute uh, to, uh, to a project or work on a project and making sure that we understand how important the community is as part of this experience is like super, super important for me. Um, sometimes I maybe exaggerate a little bit, but what I tend to say is that the community is part of the product experience itself, right? Like when we are talking about developer related products, right? Um, I need to go out there and ask the Trino community if I am stuck with something. Like, they are the experts to help me, right? No matter how good of a job you are going to do, one friend with documentation, there are always going it's to not be... not going to be good enough, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, there are always going to be things that a human needs to be involved in, like, answer or, like, even, like, engage in the conversation, like, to figure out what's going wrong. So, uh, having said that, like, I, I, I just, like wanted to emphasize the importance of the Trino community uh, because it is important to do that. And the Trino community is not just contributors, right? Like it's not just the people who write code there. Uh, I would say even more importantly is like the people who are using Trino. Yep. Right. We have data engineers. We have analysts who are engaged, like interacting with, uh, with the technology. We have from what I hear, even like ML engineers who are interacting with it. We have like, um, what's the new title that we're using? Analytics engineers now, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, all, these, all these people, like one way or another, they're interacting with this technology and we have to make sure that the experience that they have is like the best possible and making sure that the community uh, engages also with them because they are part of the community. Yeah, we need to get their feedback and like learn from them, right? Like, they, and there's always going to be someone that has some crazy use case that we never thought of, but that's going to enlighten us. And like, you know, people like Jan will be like, well, the CLI should do this. Like, let's, let's yep. change this around, right? And like, and then Jan and others make it happen, right? And so it's always about this collaboration. And I, I, like, I love that. It's really exciting yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what, like one last like comment from me about communities, I want to say that, like communities emerge and like developer advocates or developer devrel people are there like to nurture and help the community, right? So that's right. The community is just part of Trino, the technology itself. So yeah. and we are all here like to help uh, the community like to get more value and uh, understand better and work better with Trino. Yeah. There's this term too, Kostas, like the around like so you mentioned developer advocates. I think you know, I've, I've done various intros of like what I do in, in the community, which is like going out, talking about it, trying to get people aware, but then also trying to, uh, you know, bring in some of the, the problems that they, that users are experiencing and like kind of make sure that those are getting addressed. However, there's also this kind of concept of developer experience that is also uh, falling under the umbrella of this like DevRel thing. So what is that like different from in, in contrast to like, what DevRel does, is it part side part of the mission or is it actually like, you know, what, what is developer experience and kind of how do we address that? How does that fit into making the community better, I guess? Uh, okay, I think developer experience is a little bit of a new term. Uh, I would say that it depends on like from which angle you want like to approach the term. So from a product perspective, like if you ask like a product manager who works, let's say on a SaaS, uh, serverless database, right? Uh, probably the first thing that they are going to say about developer experience is that it's all about tooling, like how we can make sure that we build the right tools for developers to have like a very seamless experience 
working like with the database, right? Like yeah. CLI, how we can build like a better CLI, right? Uh, now, DevRel on the other side is uh, obviously like working with product, like it's, let's say the conduit that connects the community with, let's say the product people or the engineering, like to make sure that the right feedback is like, um, uh, communicated so we can iterate and make sure that we build like the right product out there. Yeah. Uh, but the DevRel, I th- in my opinion, does like more than that. Like DevRel also works with like education, right? Like how we can educate people out there to use our tools. Yeah. Um, it has a lot to do with uh, like communication itself and making sure that the functions of like a community are like healthy, like there's no community without like people meeting now if you expect like from a product manager or i don't know a project manager or like even an engineer to think about organizing an event for people to get together like good luck with that right um so i would say that like devrel is there like to to create this connecting tissue uh with all like the different parts that the developer experience is which is interacting with the community uh and being part of the community having good documentation and having like um educational content which is super important for like engineers mm-hmm. and then also like working from the product side uh creating demos and also communicating back to let's say the project managers and the uh engineers what should be built there and why yeah yeah i think it's like really big on like trying to make the the the, the easy silly way to say it is like it's trying to make the community sticky uh, and what that means is like you know if you think about people's like uh affinities toward things it's very like uh you know personal personal matter and how those how do you nurture something that will build people's affinity towards something is usually based on like how they feel using the product essentially like do i feel really cool when i use the product do i feel like i'm making friends in the community do i and and that's what actually is that extra piece that's not just like am i learning the things i need to do to be functional in my job that's that's definitely like the bare minimum but i think community takes it to another level of a bar to say hey i want to like i want to go out and see this use case that you know is like an educational use case but it's something where I can actually start making these connections to real things that I'm doing at my job and, and, or on my own personal, you know, t- time or something I want to do. And I'm actually making that, you know, kind of uh, correlation to, Hey, I, this is, you know, a, a sandbox demo, but if I do this and this, now I can actually make this thing work uh, in my own thing. And it's bringing those ideas to life uh, and having a little bit of, uh, you know, of that extra, I don't know, creative connection between something that I'm doing and learning about how to do something versus something that now I've experienced in a small sandbox environment. And now I can like essentially iterate and make that something real uh, in my, in my working job or something, some side project hustle that I got going on. So I think that's a big part of it. A hundred percent. And okay. Like if we want to be a little bit more, let's say philosophical here, I mean, (laughs) working is like, a social activity right like you need like people need to be like together like they need to interact like to yeah. effectively like work right so when you have like a distributed project uh, like an open source project you have people like all over the globe like using the same thing and pretty much not knowing who else is doing that yeah like it's going to fail if you don't have like the proper mechanisms there to make sure that these people can communicate with each other and yeah. that's what like devrel is doing there like making sure that like 
the right people can meet with the right people. So we all use and solve our problems in the most effective way that we can. Yeah, yeah. What's all, it's all about sort of like making each other, like helping each other to be successful. And I think in that vein, uh, Jan's work on the developer experience has been also very good. Like you yeah. definitely had some really good successes on making like, you know, making the documentation better, making the CLI better, but also doing a bunch of stuff for the developers. So you want to tell us about some of those things you've done recently, Jan? Yep, sure. Uh, I, I want to talk about the CI in Trino. So we, we did mention this today that the Trino cares a lot about the quality and uh, it has an extensive suite of tests uh, with, with good coverage. So when you open up a new pull request in Trino, uh, there is a CI that's uh, short for continuous integration. There, there's a CI pipeline uh, that runs all the tests on the changes in that PR. And uh, it's important for, for both the author and the reviewer uh, to get the, the feedback from the pipeline if it passed or not as quick as possible. And we, uh, we, we had this problem a few months ago. Uh, we did notice that uh, there is a uh, you, you have to wait a long time for, for the pipeline to finish. And there's... So what, do you, what is in that pipeline? Like you're talking about pipeline and stuff. Like what's it actually doing? I know you said there's a pull request and then there's a pipeline. What's, it, ha what's happening there? Like for those of us that are not as technical. It builds the project uh, with all the all the checks and linters. So it makes sure that the, all the code uh, passes our quality gateways. And it runs the, the both the unit tests, integration tests, and product tests. So all kinds of tests for for the full coverage uh, and it does it for the whole project so that's that's a lot of code though right then like there's like how, how many plugins do we have at this stage probably like uh, yeah 50 to 100 or something like that right <laughs> and, and like so there's, yes. there's a lot going on basically right yeah yes and uh the, there is a bottleneck because uh trino is a is an open source project and it's using github and it's uh, run uh, this whole pipeline runs on public github runners uh, and there, uh, the bottleneck is the number of uh, the maximum number of concurrent jobs that can run at the same time, and it's about uh, I think it's sixty. So uh, given how many jobs we have, uh, if if there's a lot of activity in the pro in the project, if there's a lot of new pull requests opened or updated pull requests, uh, there's uh, a, a way more jobs to to run than than those than that sixty, and this forms a queue. So we did. Uh, we started gathering some metrics that told us that uh, the, uh, the the queue uh, the queue length uh, was uh, went up to like seven hours. Uh, so that's that's totally unacceptable. Like no one wants to wait seven hours uh, for, just for the pipeline to start running, not 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 to actually finish. And we uh, so we knew that this is a very big problem, uh, and we came up with a solution to. Uh, do something called impact analysis when we uh, wrote some codes that, uh, or or actually use a, 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 a existing tool to help us figure out uh, which modules in the project are affected by the changes in the pull request, so we we, we can uh, skip uh, the, the unrelated jobs and tests uh, with confidence that we are absolutely sure they're they're not being affected by the changes. So we d we do take into account all the dependencies in in modules. So, so um, just just to like make this uh, a bit more understandable for the non techies here. <laughs> um, that means, for example, that when Cole pushes a pull request change on his release notes, that just changes like a release notes entry, the wording, it doesn't build the whole queue code, right? It just like verifies yes. that, that the docs are built, nothing else. Yeah, if, or... if you do something on the CLI, 
what's being built there for example uh so if you change any of the of the core uh, libraries or or the cli that that might might that actually might affect everything so we do have to run all the tests uh, in, in that case uh, but another example would be to make a small change or, or not small but make, make a change in, in only in a selected plugin for let's say you're working on the uh on the on, on the postgresql plugin in trino and and you want to improve it so there's you, you know that it's not really related to other plugins like i don't know kafka so you don't really need to run tests for kafka and we do make sure that that's the case we do analyze the all the dependencies so as a result the builds get much faster as a developer and contributor you get the feedback faster right yeah we so we we have those uh, metrics and uh, I, I really like that we were data driven here so we were able to show that we went down from waiting several hours to under an hour uh, we, we still see that there on some days uh, the the uh, the queue gets gets a little bit longer uh, it gets up to an hour but uh, we uh, we made a considerable improvement here, especially uh, if you take into account the number of contributions that are being done lately. So is, the, is this one of those charts, Jan? Yes. Yes. So this shows the uh, the uh, runs queue time per day. So uh, how much you have to wait before your uh, uh, pipeline in your PR fires off. How, how did you make that chart? Uh, so we, uh, I wrote a plugin uh, for Trino to to get data out of the GitHub API. Uh, so we actually uh, take the, the the data from the from directly from GitHub, and we can analyze it using SQL. Uh, so we, uh, I was how do you to... analyze it with SQL? It's just GitHub data. Uh, yes, but so since we, we use Trino for that, uh, oh, so you dog fit in our own tool, that's awesome, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, 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 I see what you did there, like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> so, uh, that was that was really fun to do to actually be able to do that using Trino, and, and that shows the versatility of Trino that you can get any kind of data, and uh, doing this in SQL was, was really nice. So we could even like correlate, I don't know, like that GitHub data with, I don't know, if at some stage we put like Slack data into it. Yes. Correlate it together. We, there is a, I actually have the, in the same repository with that GitHub connector, I have a Slack connector. Uh, oh, you jumped ahead. Oh, geez. I yeah, didn't even we, know that. <laughs> we haven't awesome. started using it yet. Uh, it, is it Trina REST? Uh, yes, uh, so the, uh, I actually forked a repository created by one of the Trino founders, uh, ah, yeah. Kuczynski, uh, and I started extending this uh, to add like the, all the remaining endpoints for for the GitHub API, for example. And I just generally keep it up to date, so it builds with the latest version of Trino, and you can play around with it with uh, the GitHub connector, Slack, or Twitter. So those wow, you're all... 421 commits ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm 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 hacking at this for over a year. It's awesome. That's cool. And and so those charts and those tables though they they say they come out of Trino somehow. How? Uh, oh, I, we are using only the Trino CLI to to generate those charts. Turns out that there is a bar function in in Trino that can draw the, these kind of bar charts. Uh, so we run these queries uh, in, using the Trino CLI, and we save the results uh, in a Markdown file, and we publish them as uh, as a Git static page using GitHub Pages. And all of this is uh, in a public repository. So uh, there there is a little link below the chart uh, for the or for the original query. 
so you can see uh, what uh, what's the query that, that's drawing the chart and uh, maybe if you spot some issues with that you can actually open a pull request and, and su suggest a fix so we we essentially improved the experience for all those con like it's kind of weird because like you're basically saying we have too many contributors at first because uh, there's too many builds but then we made it more efficient so i mean that's that's really yes, good. so basically I, it means we can get even more contributors now i mean <laughs> get yeah, even more features right yeah Fill we, in the more pipeline <laughs> yeah. yeah of course like we want to have as as, as much as possible uh, like uh, we we just have to deal with this bottleneck that, that we, we have to find uh, different ways of of optimizing the uh, these kind of checks and and, and jobs and, and pipelines is there some other interesting data or improvements or stuff that you did? Yeah, like there's I, a whole bunch of things. I, I could talk about this about this for a full hour. I mean, the, the, we uh, <laughs> we wrote a whole bunch of interesting uh, reports. So we have a, if if you go up and uh, there is a flaky test report, for example, uh, where we can uh, get a list of the currently uh, current flaky tests. So. And something that that fails randomly, for example, on the master it's, branch. Is a flake is a flaky test a test that's run on snow snowflake? It's <laughs> <laughs> cornflakes, actually. <laughs> cornflakes, got it. Cool. <laughs> so, uh, if, what's a flaky test? Uh, it, it, it it does happen sometimes that uh, a test uh, is undeterministic, so it can fail for for some random reasons. And the, obviously, this is very bad because we don't know if there is an actual issue in the code. Uh, mm -hmm. And we we need to take care of those, uh, like be, because Trino tests are very like Trino doesn't use any mocks, so it doesn't use any fake services to to run tests. Uh, everything is being tested on real uh, services. Uh, all the plugins are being tested with the, the real services that were to to which they talk to. Uh, so sometimes there are transient transient issues like network issues the, some requests can fail in our timeout so we have to make uh, make sure to uh, make the tests resilient uh, like either retry the, the the query or so like a, a like a like a, a test in the bigquery connector actually hits bigquery and then if bigquery is unavailable then well the test will fail so sort of yeah, so, so sometimes it's, it's just enough to try again. Uh, maybe the, the failure is very short, so only only a single request can fail, and we don't really want to fail the whole test. So we, we need to... Uh, this is important for contributors, uh, especially because like if you create a pull request with some changes and you see failures in tests that are totally not related to what you're doing, this can throw you off and you might not be sure what to do and how to continue. Like, is, is it your fault or do you have to look into it or not? Yeah, so, so it can cause a bit of confusion there in a sense, right? Yeah, so we, we really need to get rid of those. I, I mean, I, not, not get rid of, but uh, find the root cause for these tests, tests to be faking and address that. Yeah, And you also did some analysis uh, with all that data on the pull requests and stuff like that? Uh, yes, yes. We, we want to see uh, how well are we doing in terms of the number of contrib contributions so we have a whole page dedicated to that and you can also see that we have a uh, something called git achievements i was going to say i wanted to I, I, <laughs> we were running out of time but let's i want to show off this real fast yeah so. we did that just for fun uh, I, I got inspired by a project i found uh, a few years ago uh, written in closure and i 
for for calculating achievements based on git comments and i thought that this is such a good idea that uh, but i also wanted to implement that in sql so i started uh, uh, we, uh i i did wrote a connector to read git comments in trino and i started writing sql for trino to calculate achievements based on comments yeah so so basically if you uh for instance the save the day uh uh achievement will be uh easily yours if you uh, send us a pull request and we actually merge in this commit of yours that has the word fix uh included in into it and then if once you get that uh, included in, you'll be on this uh, illustrious list uh, <laughs> of, of other individuals that have used the word fix in their commit messages. So uh, a different, another one is, uh, this one's I think a little harder to achieve, but the number of lines <laughs> added has to equal the number of lines deleted for world balance, the yin and the yang. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so th th this actually doesn't exclude comments with a single change where you just change a single line and it's going to be counted as one line removed <laughs> and one line added. Hey, whatever counts, it's, it, it meets the, get, the GitHub criteria. Yeah, so. if, if, uh, if there are any con uh, Trina contributors listening, uh, you can find uh, below this list, there is another one where you can find your name uh, with all the achievements you, you achieved. Uh, I like that Man Manfred will like this one. Create a test or doc directory. <laughs> directory. I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. But at least it's it's gonna encourage people to think, okay, now how can I write docs to have to create a new directory? So <laughs> anyways, really, really cool. I I, I really liked when I uh when uh, Jan mentioned that, hey, let's make some achievements that people can start doing. So if you want to see what achievements you've already uh gotten, you can go to this uh reports page and go to get achievements to figure that out. So. And you can also, uh, if you can think of any new achievement, you can uh, find the source qu query for, for that page and uh, open a pull request and implement it in SQL. Yeah. What do you, uh, is that in the CICD as well? The, um, so, uh, is also in the reports? Repo, right? we, we keep this in a, a separate uh, repository. So the, we move this to Michal's repository. We have another member of the, of the dev, uh, DevX team. Okay. Uh, in Trino, so we we moved it because it's not really re related to the CICD reports <laughs> we, we have on that page. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't remember his, uh, his username. Oh, it? so it's Miguel uh, Miguel Wizardo. Yeah. Oh no, that's too much. Okay, we'll uh, do it another <laughs> another time. Um, we'll we'll add it to the show notes if if anybody's or let let us know if you're interested in uh, checking out how to add get achievements at some point later on. Cool. Um, so uh, so yeah. So I mean that's. All jokes aside and everything like that, that CI/CD pipeline is is a huge, huge uh, game changer and 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 really a huge help in terms of helping us understand like where do we focus because where you need data to understand some of these things to kind of help you know guide you into like uh, focusing on where where to make fixes like because you if you don't know where the problem is where do you even begin right so uh, it could just be the squeaky wheel that gets the 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 attention uh, that day and it's one person's particular issue. Um, we we need data to kind of help us do that. And what better way to do that than to you know we're we're already a data you know building a data product right? Why not use that as the way that we actually um, to as we uh, to actually implement the solution to this? So really really cool. And so one other thing that we kind of have done in the past. Uh, in, in recent times with bringing Cole on. Cole, you know, you've been kind of helping us figure out uh, when when you know, getting back to this whole idea of like developer experience and what people, uh, how people feel when they're not only just using the product, we also want people who are contributing uh, to the product to also feel like 
they're empowered to help us out, add their contributions, and that they're uh, that you know whether or not maybe they're going to contribute something that uh, needs more quality checks or something like that. The thing we want to avoid is for people to feel maybe ignored or that they don't they aren't getting enough attention. And so sometimes you know if uh, again the squeaky wheels sometimes can get various attention. And so we need help and we need actually humans involved sometimes to really interact and interject and make sure that, you know, everybody is getting a fair shake to, to get their features and products. And because, you know, that is one of the essential ingredients of community. So what have we been kind of doing to address, like trying to, trying to make sure everybody feels seen, heard, and, and that their contributions are, are, you know, actually very appreciated. Yeah. So this is kind of like a, a two-step process, right? is the first thing we want to do is we want to make sure that people coming in and submitting pull requests uh, kind of know how to interact with the Trino development community and the maintainers yeah. and can provide us with the info we need to review and assign those PRs and make sure that they're good to go. Yeah. And then the second part of that process is making sure that like the maintainer and reviewer community can get onto those PRs and look at them and be there in a timely manner to respond. Right. Um, so I'll talk about both of those things, um, starting with kind of that input um, is one of the key things that we've had on Trino to make sure that contributors are able to kind of immediately get into the mix of things is have a template. Um, so when you open a pull request, you will see a template that pops up with a ton of different information. Um, some of this is going to be just information about the change that's going on. Um, it'll be context, asking what's changing, where it's changing, how it's changing. Um, we also often ask for a explanation of the change for a non-technical user um, so that anyone who's looking back at things, even without context, might be able to understand. Um, sometimes the term non-technical is a bit of a struggle when we're working on something as technical as Trino, but it's kind of just a, a best effort. Um, and then kind of the follow-up to that, and even more important for contributors, is that Everything going into Trino, we want to make sure that A, if it needs documentation, it's documented, and B, if it's going to impact users, we want to make sure they know that it's changing. Um, so we have two questions about whether or not a change needs documentation and whether or not a change needs release notes with kind of some helpful ideas for how you can begin to approach those issues. So documentation can be, no, this doesn't need documentation, <laughs> and that's if it doesn't impact how users will actually use Trino. Right. Um, so something like a performance fix, if it just plugs in and the Trino experience is better and no one needs to know how to leverage that performance fix, then it's fine um, and there's no documentation required. Um, but when we say documentation, we mean user-facing documentation on the Trino website as opposed to comments in the code. We wanna make sure that users know what's going on. So if there's a configuration property that might need to get changed or a new function added that might need to get used, it's good to educate the Trino users. And so we ask that when you're creating a pull request, either you can write those doc docs yourself and we'll review and try to make sure that they're as good as possible. You could just file an issue and say, this is the issue for these document documents. Like someone else who's better at writing docs, please take the lead and I'll provide context <laughs> if you need it. Yeah. Um, or you could just open a second pull request because, you know, or have someone open a second pull request. Um, so there's a lot of different ways up the, the docs mountain, but we always ask on pull requests that you do something with docs to make sure that they, uh, the feature is documented. Sorry, I have someone coming in to install blinds right now. So that's the doorbell if anyone heard that. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
And then uh, with release notes, it's it's a little more broad in terms of making sure that if the change is happening, people know about it. Um, you might not need to document a performance improvement, but surely everyone would like to know about it. If you make Trino faster when you're submitting a pull request, tell the world, like brag about it. Yeah. Um, so anything that's worth bragging about, anything that just seems interesting or fun or cool or fixes a bug, um, is great to include in release notes. And so as part of that release process, if you're opening a pull request, you can suggest release notes and you don't need to worry about it too much. It doesn't need to be exact or super precise um, because we'll curate them and we'll edit them. It goes through like three different people on the way out the door to make sure that the release notes are as clear and effective as possible. So yeah. it's give it your best effort and move on. Um, and then once you've submitted your PR and you've filled out that template to the best of your ability, what happens on the tail end is it needs to be reviewed and merged. Yeah. Um, so over the past few weeks, I've been monitoring pull requests um, and making sure that everything we see uh, gets to a maintainer, gets a review, gets feedback. Um, our initial concern when looking at it was maybe some things just slip through the cracks, never get looked at, never get comments, just kind of dissolve into the ether and wither away. Um, and the kind of happy thing that I discovered when looking <laughs> at pull requests is that's not the case. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to pat ourselves on the back a little bit, I guess, we do good at uh, triaging pull requests and making sure that they get to the right people. Um, and that certainly reflects what a lot of people too mentioned too, is like most people do feel pretty heard, but you know, some people also don't speak up. Right. So we were like, is that possible? That's, yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of like, let's make sure, like, let's go in, yeah. do a little legwork, understand this. And the re revelation was no, like when a pull request gets open, a maintainer looks at it like yeah. almost always, unless it's unfinished or, um, sometimes there are issues where if something probably won't get merged, it can be a little unclear on feedback there, um, which we can, which we're working on already, and we're getting a little more explicit with that. Um, but so that was a kind of fun thing, is you know, incoming PRs. I think uh, if you want to contribute, you can rest assured that when you open a PR and you ask for feedback, it will it will arrive. Um, and so, kind of the next extension of that work is okay. Well, if we're good at looking at pull requests when they come in, uh, how about once they've been alive for a while, once they've been in in the works for a week or two. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm going to begin understanding and looking at that. This is kind of a, a new project, so I don't have study results to report today, but that's kind of on the, on the next docket is, okay, well, we've got ingress good. Like, let's make sure nothing just like if, what if initial feedback comes in and then there's no follow-up feedback once the pull request is updated. Yeah. Um, so that's our, that's our next work and understanding. We want to make sure that everyone in the community, everyone who's contributing, if you're trying to get code on a Trino that you can get quick, immediate feedback. And when you need more feedback, that feedback arrives in a timely manner. Totally. And yeah. We'll drop off any loose ends then, then, then tie it all up nicely, right? Exactly. Yeah, I think, I think that's, and that's super key as well. Like, you know, as part of this whole idea of making sure the community has, is healthy, that is like, my, my biggest thing to me is whether it's on Slack or whether it's, you know, getting your pull requests reviewed, it's about making sure that everybody in the community is heard, is seen, is is feeling like they are a part of it, not like they are, you know, kind of essentially that the perception would be that there's any kind of gatekeeping because that was one of the first things that was very obvious to me is that there's no like core group or core club that, you know, essentially treats the newcomers as like, well, you got to earn your keep around here. No, it's like you you come in day one and you're you're submitting stuff. Uh, I got immediate attention from Martine 
who was helping me out with uh, contributing stuff from the Elasticsearch process. And that immediacy and of feeling like I belonged in the community was was such a huge help to me getting to where I am as involved as I am in uh, in the project today. And it, it really leaves a lasting impact. Uh, I, we, we heard the same from Marius and a lot of the other people who are now very active in the project. Uh, it's all started with that, that wonderful first time experience. Uh, and so that's something that, you know, we as now community people uh, really want to try to keep alive. And so, uh, so we, you know, we will, definitely be doing that with the data that we have from Jan, with, uh, you know, a lot of the leadership that, uh, you know, Manfred Kostas, uh, you know, kind of bestowing on, on me and trying to, how, how do we make sure that we're, we're getting all of these um, addresses, uh, addressing all of these needs throughout the community met. And so, uh, and then me and Monica just executing and being, uh, being the people in that space. Right. So, um, so yeah, so uh, thanks for all that, uh, all of you, uh, you know, thanks for all of your uh, summaries about, you know, kind of, your everything from the philosophical, uh, th you know, thinking mode to uh, that Costas was giving us uh, to a lot of the uh, very practical like uh, metrics that that you give us, Jan. I think it's it's really exciting to see where this community is going. And so, anyways, uh, I don't know, Manfred, do you have anything to add to that before we? we yeah, hop on? I think I think a special thanks definitely need to go out to the Trino software and Commander Banban for making all that analytics and stuff happening. Totally. Yeah. Thank you, Commander Bun Bun. And thanks for everybody in the community that are already just makes the community what it is, too. That's a, also a fair point that we need to not let it go on. But that is uh, enough said about community and what we're doing with it and how we're making it super awesome. We're super glad that all of you are here with us every single time we do this broadcast and uh, writing code, being on Slack. So to uh, to infinity and beyond, as they would say in these uh, this whole uh, light year uh, movie coming out. But anyways, let's go on to the next PR of the episode. All right. And what fancy I... stuff have you got today, Brian? All right. Well, first, let's talk about fancy stuff that I didn't do, but fancy stuff that uh, contributors uh, to the project have done, and particularly one that I'm super excited about. Um, is the one that we, we mentioned before, uh, supporting iceberg table partitioning. Now, those of you who maybe are using the Hive connector, come from the Hive world, or um, you are, uh, are, are maybe just like still even learning what Trino and big data is in general, may not be as familiar with how cool this thing is. So I wanted to give a little like, you know, build up to, to what this does. So from the Hive side of things, right, we've, we've traditionally had a... Uh, you know, a lot of weird issues when Hive was created, it was like this SQL on um, SQL on Hadoop kind of thing. And so what it did is it just took SQL input and mapped it into MapReduce uh, uh, programs that were really difficult to write. And so they came up with all these ways to model what, you know, these like uh, uh, generic, like open data files uh, to that were created specifically in big data times were ORC and Parquet, but you could even do things like JSON or CSV. And, and so you had these like open data uh, like files sitting on uh, Hadoop distributed file storage or net more recently on cloud storage. And you needed to be able to kind of map like what was going on in uh, the 
uh, or what was going on in like SQL land into what was going to, you know, what was, what were the actual tasks uh, and data processing uh, tasks that were going to be executed on that, those files essentially. And so to the user, it became the SQL interface to in, in an actual reality, it ended up being these like processing pipelines. And the same thing happened with, uh, you know, Presto, it just, and to, to now Trino, uh, when, it, as it was created, like it was basically a way to interact with these files, uh, using, still using the kind of hive abstraction, but not necessarily using hive because it was super slow, super clunky iteration of, of how to do this. Right. So, uh, Trino came in, you know, blew away the speeds and stuff like that. And now you had this really fast SQL interface to talking to those files. Now, uh, Hive had a lot of great things that it showed us how to do these things in the beginning. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of fallbacks even to the exact model that we're using still to this day in the Hive connector. So that model had a lot of like, you know, just clunky things. Like if you decided you wanted to update how you partition the data, uh, partitioning meaning how you split data into the where, where things are actually stored on the file system. Well, now you have to like, you know, basically copy all the existing data into a new table with the newer formatting, uh, part partition formatting. And then you have to now, uh, up, you know, write new data then from that point on to that new table and then just delete the old table. Well, that's a huge pain in the butt. <laughs> and uh, and often not even possible because there's too much data to move around and stuff like that. And Iceberg solves that problem, right? Exactly. It's one of the many problems, what? right? <laughs> so uh, I have a whole blog series about other problems that, the iceberg table format solves, but uh, this is one of the, to me, was one of the really exciting ones. And initially what what we on the Trino side, we were able to, let's say if you update this partitioning schema, so let's say, you know, for a couple months you're, you're partitioning by day and then you decide, oh, hey, I, I actually am getting a lot more data now. I need to start splitting my partition smaller because there's just literally too much data per partition. So I'm gonna start moving from a, a um, daily to a, a, a hourly tra uh, granularity uh, in, in on this particular field. So if you had to do that in Hive, like I said, that was impossible pretty much other, other than just totally migrating to a whole brand new table. So uh, Iceberg allows you to basically just update it as you go. Now we were uh, enabling, you know, if, if uh, from the reading perspective, if there was an Iceberg table that already existed that did have two different partition schemas, uh, or schemes is what they call this in the iceberg world, um, then you we were able to read it. We've always been able to read it from the beginning. However, from, and, and again, we're an OLAP first thing. So we always really think about these reading data out as the first set of things we, we like to solve. But we've now been recently going more into like the, uh, the rights and trying to understand better how to solve for all these use cases around like, you know, pushing data into Iceberg uh, using Trino. And so this was one of those being able to uh, insert and and actually have Trino be able to recognize that, oh, we're on a new partition uh, schema scheme. Let's now move to this uh, different type of partition. So uh, so that I'm about to show, I'll show you this here in a second in the uh, demo of the episode, but basically uh, wanted to give a, uh, Oh, and, and I, as at the time of writing, so there's some blogs that I've written on this. And one of the things that I, I finish off this whole 
talk about partitions. Oh, specifications. I said schema. It's they call it partition specifications. So at the time of writing, you know, Trina performs reads uh, from tables. I have multiple partition spec changes, uh, but we don't allow writing yet. And so that is now changed with this uh, with this PR. So uh, so for those of you that was who Alex had, Joe who contributed that, right? Exactly. So uh, huge thanks to Alex Joe. Uh, he's a engineer at at Starburst that pushed this in, but uh, he and he's been doing a lot of the focus work on Iceberg uh, write writing things in there. So just wanted to call him out and say thanks. Thanks a lot to Alex Joe and thanks to uh, Marius. Marius is no stranger to the show here as well. Marius did the uh, the review and uh, actually got this uh, pushed out and pushed through. So yeah, don't um, forget um, uh, their fearless leader Piotr Finlayson as as well as Piotr. Yes. So uh, and many of you know Piotr through his amazing blogs and just seeing him a couple times on uh, some of the technical briefings around uh, Trino. So, so yeah, so that's the pull request. Uh, and essentially, uh, that's now being done. And I would like to take you to the demo of the episode to talk about how this works. All right. So uh, I scrolled down just a little bit. That's what you missed. <laughs> uh, so in the, this... Uh, uh, demo of the episode. Um, as usual, like we had mentioned before, uh, you'll go to my Trino Getting Started repo, uh, and you can go into, um, when you download this, uh, go into Iceberg and go into Trino Iceberg Min.io. This is the one that I am, uh, the setup that I'm using for this demo. And essentially, it's just going to run Min.io as your storage. It's going to run the Hive Meta Store, and it's going to uh, obviously run a Trino coordinator. So you'll clone it, uh, go into Iceberg, Trino, Iceberg, Min.io, and then Docker Compose up, and that will pull up on your computer. Obviously, you need to have Docker installed, and those instructions are also included in that repo. So uh, this demo is very similar to one that we did in episode 15. Uh, if you wanted to have more context into how Iceberg and stuff works, I added that link there. Um, and I have all the code here that you can run, but I'm just, I already have it copied over here. So let me, uh, without further ado, um, wait a second. Am I in the right spot? Here we go. <laughs> uh, so first, we're gonna use uh, a um, a setup that uh, the Iceberg community uses for for a lot of their demos. It's basically just using a you know you're creating this logs table. And so uh, first thing we'll need to do, and actually let me bring up uh, the MinIO. We can see what's going on in MinIO land. <laughs> and this is all just running on your on your laptop because you just fired it all up with Docker Compose, right? Correct. And you can run all this stuff. So I have another experiment going on here with Lakehouse. That won't exist there for you. But uh, you'll want to create this logging bucket. Uh, so you literally just go to create bucket and then type in logging, and then you'll click create bucket. I already have that done and set up. I should have just uh, uh, taken that out, but there's nothing really interesting going on with here. Uh, if I click on logging, there's just nothing in here at this point. So what I'm gonna do is point a schema, iceberg.logging, and I'm gonna point that to the logging uh, bucket that was just created. Let's do that first. Okay, schema's created, uh, nothing blew up there. And then I'm gonna create this uh, logs table. And that's going to have, you know, it's so for those that are like, you know, have been familiar with like 
Yeah, really anything. It's not just Java, but Java has a level. So you'll have like, you know, error versus warn. You'll have the time that the event occurred. You'll have some message that came from the program that you'll want to submit. And then ideally some sort of call stack that you want to save on there. So, so I, it's it's just like levels in Mario Bros or, or Mario Kart. It just gets harder and more detailed all the time. Yeah, specifically if you are on error level, that means that you're fighting Bowser. So, exactly. <laughs> um, okay. So then uh, we're gonna put this in the format of orc uh, because why not? Uh, that's our that's the stuff we have most around. Although the the parquet is getting up there, so I mean you could pretty much use either one you want if you like parquet more. And then we're gonna do partitioning using that day on event time. So what's really one of the big things about Iceberg is that um, I can put this partitioning scheme in there. And it is totally invisible to me. All I have to do is, in Hive, you actually had to be very clear about a particular column that you would add in this field to actually work as your column to be partitioned on. In Iceberg, it's completely invisible to you. It's this particular timestamp that I'm pushing in here is going to make this record get go into the proper partition based on day of event time. So that is the power that Iceberg gives you is it has that hidden partitioning and you as the user who inserts data in or queries data out doesn't have to know anything about how to set that to properly take advantage of that partitioning. So the only person who knows about it is the creator and maintainer of the actual table, which is incredible uh, compared to what you used to have to do from an Iceberg's perspective. So we're going to create that table and then we're going to insert those logs into there. So we have two logs here. And you want to notice the times uh, because, remember, we did this a day. So we have these at two separate hours. So uh, I just wanted to make that clear. So we're, we're not currently doing our partitioning. So these two records should actually be in the same partition. So let's go ahead and run that. And great, we didn't blow anything up. Insert, insertion worked. Let's make sure that uh, we get those returning back. Great. Message one, message two uh, at their particular times. Let's actually take a look at a special table that's in the Trino uh, tables. And you could actually do, if you add little quotes around here and you add a little dollar sign uh, and that you can basically tap into these like meta tables that are sitting behind uh, logs. So let's actually go ahead and run that. And we're actually going to get- Those kind of like additional information tables exist on any table and they are automatically available. And there's a whole bunch of documentation around that. Yep, exactly. Just one of them. If you if you look at uh, particularly if you look at the um, uh, the the iceberg docs, it has all of this there for you to to dive into that. There's snapshots. There's a whole bunch of other things that specifically adhere to just iceberg, but partitions is one that goes across the board. So if I pull this up, I look at the part the partition that this went to, and so it's event time, and then it adds this underscore for the granularity day. I don't know if you can see that. I need to zoom in maybe. Um, Okay. Anyways, it's event underscore time underscore day as the field for the partition. And then that value is specifically does not include any of this hour time stuff. It only includes the day, which is, you know, April Fool's Day of 2021. So we insert that in there. And uh, and we now we've had that one single partition with two those two records. Great. So now I've changed my mind. I go, you know, we're getting a lot of data coming in. These two records are just too much for my system to handle. Uh, I need to now update to our granularity. So I'm going to actually do that by running an alter table. This is the functionality that Alex just added in to do alter table, set properties, partitioning equals. And then I'm going to update the array to uh, of, of partition values to be now instead of day event time, it's going to be hour event time. Let's go ahead and run that. 
And then I'm going to insert now three new records. And now these three records also happened later in the day on April 1st, uh, but uh, they are going to happen two at the same hour, one at a different hour. And let's see what happens there. So first, let's just make sure uh, that the oops, that the we're getting all five. Like this didn't blow up, and because we have different partition schemas before when this would have happened, actually we, we would have had a an error on this insertion. So now we were actually able to insert and get those uh, feeding into partitions ideally. And we should be seeing okay, we have all five records coming back. Great. Let's check the partitions now and see what that is showing us. So if we look in here now, we actually have three partitions. We have one partition that was at the day granularity that still has those two record counts. We have uh, now the event time day partition now has a null value set to it uh, for the times for the partitions that have an event time hour. And so those actually have a new one called event time hour. And that, that partition now holds the values for those different hours now. So there's one that was in for this particular hour value, which is probably correlating to the 16 uh, or four, four o'clock PM uh, one. And then there's another one that correlates to the uh, three o'clock PM. So let's go ahead and run a query. So this query is going to select all from this table and it's going to say where event time is less than uh, basically the, uh, the value less than not equal to this, the value of the highest uh, hour value, right? So we should ideally be getting all except for the, the latest time. And that's going to be four messages. So we correctly get those four messages now. And I didn't have a really cool way <laughs> that I could figure out to, to show you that it's only going to actually touch those uh, two of those partitions. And it's not going to touch the partition that is uh, in that 16-hour block. And that's because based on the filter, it's it's no... Oh, actually, no. I, I, I lie about that. Let's say we change this to five and put that equals instead. Uh, and actually, let's just make that five, six. This one would actually be, so I, I, I lied uh, in the one before. This one would, so we still get the four values here. Now we're in the hour. We're searching through the hour of, of you know, hour three o'clock and lower, or 3.56 anyways, and lower. And that's only going to search the partition, relevant partitions on the day of April uh, of April 1st. And it'll search that whole partition. And it will search uh, the day the other partition that includes this time by an hourly granularity and give us the correct results now i also wanted to uh so that that's the mind blown kind of like we can now support that in trino the other one that i think is really exciting and i wanted to put it as a bonus part of this demo since we're already here um if we look at the the uh two warns let's go ahead and select all here again and showcase what, uh, what, what's in here. So we have two warns that have uh, bad things could be happening as one of the parts of the stack trace. Um, and so uh, I basically just want to show that you can also now do updates uh, in, in, in Iceberg. And this was also implemented uh, a while back. I can't remember who wrote that one off the top of my head, but I'll add that in the show notes uh, unless somebody on here knows. Um, I think it might have been David. It might have been David. Okay. David so, Strike, I mean. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, so David Stryker, who also we had on uh, the Trina Community Broadcast a while back, wrote wrote this capability, I believe. And so, essentially, what this allows you to do is, well, what you would expect: be able to update uh, particular values where some criteria is met. So, we're going to update both of these warn messages. 
and add a secondary part of the call stack. So this is a concatenation for the array operator and add well hello there uh, to all those. Let's add that. And now if we run this one more time, we should be able to see updates to those. And sure enough, anywhere there's a warn, there's a well hello there on the on the thing. So that is uh, pretty much it. That's exciting, really stuff. The I think in general, I just wanted to get people super stoked about the fact that like we we have a lot of stuff coming down the iceberg uh, path, and uh, you know there's um, there's things like JDBC catalogs that we're working on that would take out the HMS. We have merge into uh, capabilities that are also in in the works. So we have a lot of like uh, things that are getting us closer closer to like being where we're very much the engine that can not just only be the best one for reading data out of iceberg but we're getting to the point where we're managing it yeah. you can completely manage it just with trino and you don't have to have two different query engines to insert and, and pull out of which has traditionally been you know what a lot of people have done because trino is the fastest one to pull out of iceberg but then a lot of other engines like flink or or spark have been used as far as the ingestion method and that is all changing very shortly here so keep Wanna your eyes back to your demo for a sec by, by the way sure sure let me go ahead uh do that yeah. Um, can you just like that query select star from iceberg.logging dot like log partitions, uh, change that to to go properties? I just wanted to show that like you know, if if people don't know what the like table properties are, like say you don't know what the current tables like um partitioning it is, you should show all the properties, but I guess it doesn't. Yeah, we'll have to look into that. Hmm. Is it just shows the one that we custom specified? I'm guessing it all the default ones are are there. We'll have to look. Maybe there's a special uh, annotation that you have to add to that uh, yeah. that query. Okay. But but yeah, uh, very very cool thing. And so um, so yeah. So with that, uh, uh, let's move on to the uh, question of the episode. You know, I did did end up not showing anybody what happened in MinIO, but basically Iceberg created this logs file and it has a metadata folder and the data folder, and then it shows you all the partitions, and then you can actually That's see the, the right you can see the data sitting in there. Yeah. So that was all I wanted to show on the MinIO side. <laughs> and now on to the question of the episode. So uh, so we have this uh, question that came in from the Trino forum that was almost perfect timing, actually. Uh, it was like this person that wanted to do this forcing pushdown join into a connected data source. And so you alluded to this a little while back, Manfred, but we have this, uh, uh, we have this like uh, uh, new feature that got added. Um, we're going to learn a lot more about it in July when, by the way, I won't be here in July because uh, I have a second part of my, my paternity leave that I'll be taking. Just letting everybody know. Uh, but when that happens, uh, Manfred will be here uh, running the show, talking to uh, Kasia, uh, who was here uh, originally to tell us about Match Recognize. Now uh, she's going to be talking to us, uh, as well as Martine will be there as well, to talk about this super cool uh, things called polymorphic table functions. Uh, this is going to be a game changer for, for Trino in terms of capabilities uh, coming in from SQL. And it allows for a lot of different things. Um, but this thing we're going to talk about here is a very sm one small slice of what you can do with polymorphic table functions. So I'm not going to spoil it too much, but don't don't think that polymorphic table functions just means what we're about to talk about here. It means a whole other set of use cases that uh, that can essentially get, uh, generate uh, data in different ways to get included into the um, 
in the Trino uh, query pipeline. So I'll leave the suspense so that we can talk about it in the next one. But in this particular one, we're talking about one really cool way that you can use polymorphic table functions. And that is the uh, uh, error, error issue that this user is facing here. So John's asked on Trino form, hey, uh, forcing, I want to be able to basically uh, force a pushdown that bypasses essentially what, what uh, Trino is, is uh, running. And I want to do it in the language of the, of the source uh, connector that I'm talking to because it just has this special capability that I'm not able to take advantage of in Trino. So I want to be able to push that down and bypass what, what Trino would typically do. And this, this happens from time to time, right? Like some connectors, like I think this one particularly, he's wanting to do it with uh, BigQuery if I'm not... Uh, correct or it's with it's with some, or postgres and something else and so um or maybe it was just postgres i'm not sure anyways he wants to do some sort of push down that doesn't exist in trino and it's not uh uh yet implemented in the uh connector for this uh for this um uh for what he's trying to do so uh i showcase that now with polymorphic table functions uh, we've added to a couple different uh, connectors, including Postgres, MySQL, uh, a whole list that's on the release notes that we have on the show notes. Um, this ability to actually run essentially native uh, queries that is specific to the location, and, and I showcase this um, in the in, in this answer here using MySQL. So if I run MySQL here. And I uh, particularly just utilize, you have to specify the catalog uh, that you're going to be addressing. And you basically say, use MySQL, uh, whatever schema here. And then I'm basically going to run this query to, uh, well, I had the basic one of select 1A. This is something that could technically also exist in um, in Trino. So I thought, well, that's not super interesting, but it does work. Uh, but this select 1A, instead of getting run on Trino, it actually gets run natively passing through straight to MySQL. So I was like, okay, well, I need some sort of syntax that is only specific to MySQL to make sure that this really works. So I actually just ran the only one that I knew off the top of my head, which was uh, select to, to find out the MySQL version, you can say select at, at version uh, to basically get that back from MySQL, the, the current version that you're running in MySQL. So when I did that, uh, sure enough, it worked. It actually came back as this little table. And that is, you know, so if you had some very customized like MySQL query, you could actually um, theoretically like push that query straight through to MySQL, it will bypass every kind of like query optimization thing that that Trino typically does, and allows you to maybe take advantage of some some course like cool index or something that you have going on down on the MySQL level without having to kind of include Trino in that processing. Then, uh, at least at least that down that that push down process part, and then it will return the table like whatever gets returned essentially dynamically from MySQL then gets now. Uh, uh, materialized or not materialized, but uh, uh, pipelined into Trino's uh, query. And then you can, let's say, do a join across to some other table. And that part Trino can actually reno, uh, sorry, rationalize about and, uh, and actually make some sort of a query uh, off of that. So it's really powerful about this is that you can now push down anything like, for instance, one I'm excited about to have in the future is Elasticsearch because Elasticsearch has a lot of searching capabilities that just don't exist in SQL. And so now you can tap into a lot of that capability. Well, not now, sorry. But in the future, when we do implement this, you'll be able to tap into a lot of that pass-through capability in Elasticsearch to run those like special search queries. 
and then get back some table, it it pipelines into Trino, and then you can do the rest of your stuff, and uh, uh, you know, through through SQL and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's a bit of an it's a bit of an escape hatch if you're stuck with migrations and stuff like that, where you have some sort of built up query in your old Elasticsearch setup, and you need to need to keep using that logic or something. Then you can just pump it through, basically. Or, or even your new stuff, right? Like even if it's not le- legacy, like there's plenty of of like uh, of of special matching capabilities that just don't exist in SQL language yeah. to, to be expressed. So it's something that would just never exist in Trino that we can't unless we implement. Like oh, a- don't, don't 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 say that. You know. The Trina community is gonna have it all solved soon enough. <laughs> well, of course, yeah, of course, yeah. So we'll we'll have it all soon soon enough. And you could always make like a function, right, to to get around yeah. it. But it's like we don't want to make a function for everything, right? And so, yeah, uh, so having that capability to just push it down and get that full full vantage point to uh, you know take advantage of anything going on underneath the covers. That's just like it's super exciting. And uh, there's that's only one of the use cases that polymorphic table functions bring to us. It's just like a whole other realm of, of things. So uh, so yeah, so I don't know. I don't know if I sound excited enough. Like, are you guys excited? Like, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I have always thought when using Elasticsearch with a UI, you know what I want to do with this is I want to write this as a subset of a query run on a SQL engine. <laughs> yeah, and, and the good, it's, and the good uh, thing is, it, to me, I thought it's really it was powerful. Like, yeah, super powerful. So, so yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Well, does anybody else? I, I want to open this up to the floor before uh, we hop off. Does anybody else have anything they'd like to share? Uh, you know, in terms of community, what they are excited about. Uh, I don't know. Let uh, anybody hop in. Don't hop in all at once. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say that. Um, it's great to to have you all here and like you know all pull together and um, obviously it's not just us. There's lots more contributors and maintainers that have been around for a long time and they all. Everyone is very crucial to the success of this project and we're looking really forward to getting more and more people involved and in making this Trino community and the Trino project more and more successful. So we'll take over the world soon enough. That's right. Or at least the analytics world. That's right. <laughs> the rest right. of the world comes later. Yeah. <laughs> world dominance. Yes. All right. Well, great. Uh, I'll see you all. Well, I won't see you all, but but uh, a subset of the people here will see you all in one month, and I'll see you all in two. So that's right. Awesome. We'll take care until then. Music for the show is from the Mega Man Six gameplay album by Shishtof Swabikowski. Don't forget to give us a star on the Trino repository at github.com forward slash TrinoDB forward slash Trino. And for more information on future shows and to find show notes, check out trino.io forward slash broadcast.